Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Greetings and welcome to our deep sea domain. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast-type situation through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Cohen. Shit, I haven't got an intro line. So I realized I'd better read last week's one. Let's go with that. I am Luke Cohen. Shit, I haven't got an intro line. But I've got this. It's okay. Okay, cool. I am one of your hosts, Luke Cohen, stretching my groin more than usual. And regularly mud wrestling. I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 7th of November 1996. Formula One on the PlayStation and Toy Story on the Mega Drive top the console charts. Dracula Dead and Loving It is remarkably still top of the UK box office, but less surprising is the Spice Girls are still top of the pops for one more week with Say You'll Be There. Amazingly, there are some people that defend Dracula Dead and Loving It. We talked about them a little bit last week, the people in the YouTube comments, but there are actual kind of film journalists and historians that go no it's okay uh there was one reference i found on wikipedia uh bruce hallenbeck defended the film in his book comedy horror films a chronological history 1914 to 2008 so relatively up to date saying it ranks with polanski's the fearless vampire killers as one of the greatest vampire comedies ever made he praised the dry wit strong performances and the way the film acts as an affectionate homage to the classic vampire films rather than purely a spook. I put it to you, Luke, he has not actually watched this film. I Or he has seen clips of it online because it is 100% just a spoof. And the wit is not dry in no, the it's slightest. Not, it's a Leslie Nielsen performance. Oh, it's not even Leslie Nielsen because, I mean, Leslie Nielsen does the straight man perfectly in so many things. Naked Gun, Due South. That is not what he's doing here. This is pure clown Nielsen. Mel Brooks, pure clown Mel Brooks. 
there is nothing dry or witty about someone going, no, you can't kiss me, I'm British, and the woman going, well, that's fine, Bristol's. It's not. It's neither dry nor witty nor clever. What if the writer had confused it with a different movie? Maybe he confused it with the George Hamilton starring comedy Dracula film Love at First Bite, also kind of a musical. Or maybe he watched Interview with a Vampire and thought it was supposed to be a comedy movie and was like, well, it's a very dry comedy movie, but I can see the wit. Wait, it's not? But, I mean, you know, I, hey, maybe this is where the confusion lies. Maybe so. But he did attribute the film's negative reception to it being so targeted towards hardcore enthusiasts of vampire films oh, that general sake. audiences would not pick up on most of the jokes and to the inevitable comparison to Brooks's seminal young Frankenstein. This writer is wrong. No, no, Luke, Luke, everyone is entitled to their opinion. But yeah, he's wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is just factually wrong. Okay, we've buried that well enough. Let's move on. Uh, nice to see Say You'll Be There is still top of the pops. Uh, I've mentioned a couple of times now, this might be my favourite Spice Girl single from this uh, era of the group. I say this era of the group, like I was talking to a friend of mine recently, like but the Spice Girls experiment was just two and a half years. Uh, but this first album here, I think it's my favourite track. And actually, it was supposed to be the original first single. That's what the label were really pushing for because they saw it as a much cooler song than Wannabe. Uh, but the the band themselves were really pushing for Wannabe to be the debut single and they won out in the end. And frankly, I, I think that is the right decision. I think this is a much better follow-up single than being the debut single. Yeah, you want to land with a punch. You want to land with something that will identify a group as being different, as being fresh. This is a good song, but it wouldn't stand out. Yeah, like, this song was everywhere, but I think it was everywhere because Wannabe had been everywhere previously. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that that is the... Like, you're right, like, it lands a, a first amazing punch, and I think that's what the group needed. We've got it for this final week here. I got mixed reviews when it came out, which I think are slightly unfair in hindsight. Uh, but before we jump in across it to the magazine, one little bit of TV news. The day before and the same day that this episode aired, a two-part special of Absolutely Fabulous called The Last Shout is broadcast on BBC One, which was advertised as the final episode of the show. When your mother's confused... Sweetheart, have you seen my, uh, my vibrating thing? By your bed, dear. And you're smoking too much. Your daughter's a problem. Oh, still no tongue. And your health's gone to pot. Get off the treadmill. I'm going on the boost. I'm going round again! Some apres. Or shall I send them home? The Last Shout, Wednesday and Thursday at 9.30 on BBC One. Absolutely fabulous, darling. Of course it wasn't because it came back, but at the, at this point, it's supposed to be the the finale of AbFab. Yep, that is entirely factually inaccurate. That's <laughs> actually more factually inaccurate than that review of Dracula Dead and Loving It. Yeah, this was the Friday the 13th part four, the final chapter of AbFab finales. So when they came back, Joanna Lumley's character was called Roy. I mean... I haven't seen much of the later episodes, so I can't say that you're wrong. I do like Roy. Uh, what have we got going on in the magazines before we get to the show? Well, uh, just to confirm what we already know, UK Nintendo 64, March 1997 confirmed. It's official, as we said all along. The N64 won't appear in Europe until spring next year. Saturday, March 1st, St David's Day to be all high and holy about it. And that's a long way off. It'll come in at 249, surprisingly high when you consider how cheap the PlayStation and Saturn are likely to be by then, and will be launched with Super Mario 64, Pilot Wing 64, Shadows of the Empire, 
and Wave Race 64. It's strange that there won't be a beat-em-up or true racer in there, considering the volume of software that will be banging about Japan and the US by then. Still, they'll all feel fresh. Games will cost you between $49.99 and $59.99, thankfully cheaper than the mooted $70 to £80 price tag, and the coloured controllers should also be available at launch. Dick Francis of The Games, Nintendo's UK representatives, comments... We're all very excited by the arrival of the N64 in the UK and are eager to repeat the success already seen in Japan and expected in the US following the launch there on September 29th. Nicely understated, son. For more Nintendo 64 goodness, take a gander at Minimag 64 fan starting on page 61. So this is another issue that's got a mini Nintendo 64 magazine inside. But slightly more exciting than confirmation of what we already know, Return of the Living Dead Capcom Showcase Resident Evil sequel. Mm-hmm. Like, we only did the review of this, what, a couple of weeks ago? Or was it during the mid-season break? We did it during the mid-season break, yeah. But with the original Resident Evil shifting like fire up a ferret's burrow at your local games emporium, the big news this month is that a follow-up is already very much in development. Capcom have, in these past 30 days, released a whole host of new screenshots all of which promise a game that should surpass its predecessor with consummate ease. Now, I'm going to presume that these screenshots are the screenshots in the magazine. Yes. Yeah, and we're going to assume they're 1.5 screenshots. They definitely they definitely look like it. I mean, this is obviously still the same plotline, the story continuing from where the original left off, with Raccoon City being overrun by the foul-skinned undead. However, it's set almost entirely in and around the police department building where the game's two heroes, Leon and Elsa, are hiding out. So it, the plot at least is the same, but I'm looking at these screenshots and I'm like, this does not look like Resident Evil 2. So let's assume it is Resident Evil 1.5. What's the timeline for 1.5? When did so they ditch one, it? So 1.5 was essentially what 2 would become. Like Resident Evil 2 was designed to be this game with Leon and Elsa Walker. And they were quite far into development in it. And then all of a sudden just ditched everything and just started again from fresh and that became Resident Evil 2 the Resident Evil 2 that we know but the that version of Resident Evil 2 essentially has been known by the fans as 1.5 as now had sort of like prototypes been leaked online and stuff like and it, Matt McMuscle did, uh, did a video playthrough of it quite recently and like it is you know broadly the same game like there's there's some tweaks here and there and you can kind of see them like you know the backgrounds and everything looks different so much more blue game than the uh than that we saw originally oh this is very very blue yeah instead of like textures and tones and stuff uh but it's just like it's a it's a fun little curio and like elsa walker stuff has been listed throughout like it's in the resident evil 2 remake but i think they wanted to have the other character tied back to the original game which is why they made her claire redfield as opposed to elsa walker and they do actually give a bit more detail here of what the plot was um or at least how the game kicks off with leon having locked himself into room at the top of the building in the knowledge that zombies are roaming free about him however he soon realizes that unless he leaves the hideout he will starve to death as food runs out after leaving he meets up with elsa who is also trying to escape from the building and this naturally sets the scene for some close encounters of the zombified kind with once again visuals and tension to die for. And they mention that there's going to be a costume change system, which basically changes appearances. Depending on the weapons they're holding or the conditions they find them in, Leon or Elsa can slip on or off certain items of clothing. It's a very Capcom thing to add in. Oh look, it's a zombie, and it's got a new hat. But they say that it won't be introducing a vast array of new environments, but rather improving on what was in the original. It does, however, promise to be a visual treat with the PlayStation's colour palette being used to its maximum once again. 
Although going by the screenshots, as you also said, the maximum amount of blues. Yeah, it's a very, very blue looking game. I mean, if you can dig around online, you can find it quite easily. Uh, the prototype version of it, but fully playable and things like that. So everyone can get their hands on 1.5 these days. Funny enough, I've actually never played it, uh, but I've watched quite a few playthroughs of people doing them. I don't think I've ever played it. I've seen the 1.5 footage like you have, particularly when those kind of early betas started to leak out into the emulation scene. But I don't Resident Evil 2 is my favourite Resident Evil. Always Same. will be. Resident Evil 2 Remake is maybe a close second, maybe even a first, because it had everything I loved about Resident Evil 2 Original, but kind of compensating for nostalgia in the mind's eye. So Resident Evil 2 Remake is as much fun to me as I remember the original Resident Evil 2 being. Yeah, Resident Evil 2, I think, is the one I sunk the most hours into, closely followed by 3, and that's only because I did... I wanted to unlock everything within 3 and do all the mercenary missions and everything. But yeah, 2, I played back to front, doing both uh, A missions, both B missions, trying to get the best ranks possible. Like, I just... Resident Evil 2 is a game that I could play, and at one point did play while I was having a conversation with my girlfriend at the time, and we were just having a conversation that was so in-depth and stuff that I didn't realise that I wasn't actually paying attention to what I was doing in the game. It was just all muscle memory. And then the conversation ended and I looked at the screen and I thought, I don't know where I am or what I've done beforehand or where I'm heading next. And I basically just had to, at that point, just stop. And I was like, I can't play this game anymore because I, I literally, oh, I'll have to just backtrack and just go, have I done this bit? Have I done this bit? And I was like, yeah, I can't remember where I'm supposed to be going at this point. I actually had a moment like that fairly recently. Uh, when they put the first couple of Quakes on Game Pass. And I'm like, oh, let's download Quake. I haven't played Quake in ages. And I just booted it up and I was just like, had a call on my phone. And I popped it on speakerphone while I was messing messing about. And I was talking away on the phone. And I was definitely paying more attention to the phone call than I was the game. And I muscle-memoried my way through the entire first level. Of Quake, yeah. a game that I hadn't played at that point for probably 20 plus years. Still a bloody great game. It's amazing what's stored up in, in our brains that really could have been filled with actually useful information. I mean, to be honest, you could say the same with this podcast. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Good evening and welcome to Games Master, where even under the sea, we take great pride in our own physical fitness. And as you can see, my two memories, Teresa and Leanne, are physically very fit indeed. Okay, ladies, what's the most energetic thing you've ever done? Um, I played ping pong once, three times in a row. Um, I regularly mug wrestle. The mermaids are doing that I must, I must improve my bust thing uh, because they're taking pride in their own physical fitness. And they are very fit indeed. Oh, the 90s, Luke. <laughs> oh, the 90s indeed. The thing is, it was like, as soon as Dominic walked out and they were doing their kind of exercises, you could see that punchline coming from space. Exactly, yeah. And I, I, I get some more of that nice of the light and dark of the two of the mermaids with Leanne once playing ping pong and Teresa mud wrestling and this and the other. And it's like, again, the pause for Dominic to allow the laugh to settle before he goes into his other things. However, I think his follow-up of we're stretching our groins a little more than usual today is actually a funnier line than either of the two mermaids. It is. It's an, it's an absolute banger of a line in a show that is probably, hands down, the funniest episode of Games Master we have probably had to date. 
I think it's the funniest and most cock-heavy episode that we've had on this show. Oh my god, it is leaning heavily to the left. Considering that, you know, Dominic's whole thing was a joystick often looks like a knob, this is knob central. This is, we're not even using entendres, we are talking dicks. Exactly, yeah, because we are in for an athletic show here, we are athletic, we like Lycra, Let's get into our one and only challenge for today's episode. What are we playing, Games Master? For today's event, we're going out on the track with athlete kings on the Sega Saturn. My two celebrity contestants will be competing over four separate events. The 100 metres, the long jump, the 110 metre hurdles, and finally, the javelin. Points will be awarded for each competitor's performance in accordance with athletic practice. And the winner will be decided by the overall points accumulated rather than by individual events. Button backing plays an important role in the game, and I'll be watching out for the contestant with the most feverish fingers. I really like this as a setup, as a cha- a, an episode-long challenge split over four parts between the same two celebrities doing the four events on Athlete Kings here, doing the 100 metres, the long jump, the hurdles, and the javelin. But it's not a case of if you win the 100 metres and you win the long jump, then the other person will need to win the hurdles or the javelin to even tie. It's at a point system, and you just accrue points over those games, and the person with the most points after those four events wins. I really like this method of doing things because it does avoid a tie-break situation almost. It would, in theory, be possible for it still to be a tiebreaker. It would be statistically improbable, but it w- in fact, the only way I can think of in which it would likely happen is if both competitors were equally awful at the games to w- the point where they just, they basically, they are defaulting on every single event. And really, there is only one event that one of them truly biffs, but it's in such a comical style that, oh, it's a whole separate thing. But this game is great. This game is still fun to play now. It was known as Decathlete elsewhere, but released as Athlete Kings in Europe due to a licensing issue, probably to do with the use of the word decathlon or decathlete. And realistically, this is a spiritual successor to Daily Thompson's decathlon or indeed you know, any of those kind of joystick waggling button mashing sports track and field type games track and field is the game right like that that's the sort of easy comparison to make to this if you haven't watched the episode but you want to know what does this game look like it looks like 3d track and field and it probably plays a lot like 3d track and field a lot of button mashing on the go here and we've talked multiple times about how much i dislike the phrase arcade perfect However, this game is actually closer than a lot because in the arcades, this ran on the STV hardware by Sega and that's barely similar, barely identical to what's in the Saturn. So it actually stood a better chance of being considered arcade perfect than a lot of games out there. It was massively popular in Japan as well. Like the when the game came out in July, the, it was probably the biggest arcade game at that point. And when the game came out on the Saturn, it was just as successful. Like EGM in 97 called it the ultimate sports game for people who aren't into sports games, which is a very good selling point for me because I'm not usually into my sports games. It's quite why I got into Mario and Sonic at the Olympics. I didn't buy it just because it was Mario and Sonic in a game for the first time, but also because it's a sports game, but it's a fun sports game as opposed to being a sports simulator game. This game looks fun. The character designs look fun they're all big and cartoony and exaggerated and kind of based to a degree 
on country stereotypes or at least mildly spoofing actual athletes, certainly in one case at least. But also it's so immediately accessible because it's about timing. You don't have to worry about, you know, forward, down, down, forward, punch, kick, you know, turn the joystick upside down and sacrifice a chicken. You button mash, you button mash, you button mash. And sometimes you button mash and button mash and button mash and have to press another button. Exactly. Yeah, it's a very pick up and play thing, which is kind of great to give to celebrities, particularly celebrities who aren't used to playing games because it's very easy to explain to them. Once they've had one go on this, they've kind of picked it all up. And yeah, it's we've got four events here, but there are 10 events in the game because it's a decathlon game. So you've also got the shot put, the high jump, the 400 meters, the discus throw, the pole vault and the 1500 meters. But we only just do the four events here just to because otherwise I, I'd have loved to have seen a full 10 run, but I think it's impossible for the half hour format. I imagine it would have also got a, a little boring because the way this event goes, it ends being fairly one sided. I think we would have been by event five we would have been at the stop stop he's already dead i mean they essentially say that when we get to the final event of this where they you know dominic we'll get to it but dominic explains it as you know less more less tensioned than a uh, a nice duvet because one of them has already won the game but they've just got to do the fourth event okay with us today we have two blokes who are more familiar with lycra than larry lycra and the lycra family who make the stuff Please welcome John Regis and Tony Jarrett. Now, uh, of course, I should have said John Regis, MBE. Uh, technically, you have that gone. What, what, what was it like when you got it? Where did you have to go? Buckingham Palace. Um, you know, for me, it was probably the most, the proudest day that I've ever had so far. You know, when I was younger, I always wished that I could ever, you know, go and see the Queen and receive one of those medals yeah. because you always thought it was somebody else who'd get it. But when uh-huh. my name came up in the list, you know, I was really happy. My parents came down. It was a tremendous day out, and you know, really chuffed. Did they? Was there a party afterwards? Uh, there was in my house. Oh, right. <laughs> because, but you didn't have a party with the Queen. No. Because I want to know that. I mean, like you know, if she has a bit of drink, she <laughs> bend over and start lighting her farts. Like um, but I guess, <laughs> I guess we won't know that. I bet Fergie does. I bet she. I bet she be the first one to get light in the bottle. <laughs> um, I probably won't get an MB. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, I think that's no chance of that one. I think so. Uh, now, uh, Tony, well, I'll ask you a much, much classier question than that. I want to know what you look for in a short. <laughs> now, uh, we, you know, we see you guys running very graphically all the time. And uh, what's, what's the most important quality in a short? Well, the most important quality in the shorts is uh, comfort and support. So stop, you know, stop things wiggling about and shaking about. Wiggling about? <laughs> Wait, wiggling sounds like it's small. It's not like small. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, mean, I, I probably wiggle. Uh, well, I'd imagine I most definitely wiggle. Yeah. Or rock about. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's more like it. And we've got two celebrities playing this game today. John Regis and Tony Jarrett, who I feel are... like I, When I think back to celebrities on Games Master, they fall into like several different categories. There are those that are just being... I've been told by their PR team they have to go to this to plug whatever TV show or play that they're doing or, you know, album that they're releasing or whatever. And those sometimes split into liking games and don't liking games. But there are also those that get fall into it. They're like, I don't know what this show is. I've never heard of a video game and I and I'm not enjoying myself on this show either. But there are celebrities that come onto this that do like video games or, you know, to realize what the show is and then just have a laugh. And I think John and Tony really fall into that category here. While they may not be like gamers at home or anything like that, it's kind of the brilliance of them playing Athlete Kings. They don't need to be. 
they are here and they get it and they are here to have fun. I don't think we have had celebrities on Games Master that have laughed as much as John and Tony have on this show. I mean, if this was an open mic night, Dom would be killing it because he is creasing them at every opportunity. And it's not even polite laughter. Dom is on fire in this episode. I don't think there's been an episode thus far. I don't think there's been an episode since his return where he's been like truly off. Some lines land, some lines don't, some have aged well, some haven't. But this episode, he is like like spitting fire every single line. And in the departure, as we'll see shortly, Rick Henderson is joining him for the entire episode. And the interplay between them is absolutely brilliant. And kind of Dom and Rick start trying to one-up each other. And it, it just makes for an episode that was, it was a joy to write notes for this episode. It was absolutely a joy. There was nothing remotely draining about watching this three or four times. There's a moment later on in the episode where Rick makes a joke that I have never seen Dominic Diamond laugh so much throughout the run on Games Master. And he's had like professional comedians on this show, but Rick says something that really makes him bust a guy laughing. There's a line that Rick has that makes one of the that makes John laugh so much he basically biffs his run on the on the the the, the game. These four guys are having the best recording day. This is one of those days where you're like, this show must have been a massive laugh to have made. This had to have been one of the best days they ever had making Games Master. Everyone's just with it. Everyone's clicked. I, I think, don't get me wrong, I could have gone for a, you know, kind of a breakup challenge. I mean, we, we already lose the reviews this episode because that's how long the Athlete King's challenge lasts is we lose the reviews we just get a news and a feature but i think even if we'd had like a little small regular challenge a street fighter or something along those lines or maybe i don't know another nintendo 64 challenge they seem quite popular of the time it would have broken up the flow too much this was very much the story of two guys who were friends battling against each other and two other guys having a bit of a giggle about it and everyone just laughing I'm fairly certain there are points in this episode where you can hear other crew members laughing as well. Absolutely. This is a, we had a bit of feedback at the end of series five that was really looking forward to series six specifically for this episode, because they said in their, their feedback, it's their favorite celebrity challenge of all time. And yeah, having now watched the episode, well, you know, we'll do when we get to our final wrap up thoughts, it's going to be up there. It's a whole episode challenge. But it's also a whole episode challenge where all four of them, particularly the two celebrities, are having the best time and are just really, really enjoying themselves. It is a stark contrast to some of these celebrities that we've had on Games Master where they've come on and they're just like, have no idea what's going on, do not get on with Dominic Diamond's humor, and they're then just having a miserable time. This is the complete opposite of Patsy in Series 5. But just to go back to our two celebrities, because they make their way to the stage and Dom immediately corrects himself, having introduced John Regis, because Luke, it should have been John Regis, MBE. Indeed, he is indeed. Yeah, he's a very, very well-renowned man. He's uh, won gold at the 1989 Budapest Indoor Championships, the 1990 European Championships, the 1990 Commonwealth Games and the 1991 Tokyo World Championships. He's a great British athlete and was recognised by the Queen, who did not light any of her farts on fire. 
That no, moment I mean, Dom, there, Dom, Dom, yeah. that moment there is when John realizes what show he's on. Like yeah. I think that there is a, there's you know because when he first comes on he's just very polite. He's like you know what was it like getting the MBE and he was like you know it was a great honor. I always really wanted when I was a kid. I was looked to people who had MBEs being like I wish I could be like that one day. And it's oh it was a really truly honor for me. And then Dom says the line about the Queen is oh I bet you Fergie does it. And he busts a get laughing. And all of a sudden there's this light bulb that goes off being like oh it's one of those shows is it. Okay, right. Well, now I need to settle into that line of thinking. I do not buy for a second that this kid growing up looked at people and went, God, I hope I get an MBE someday, Governor. <laughs> I, could, I could feed on that for a while. It, it's just, I can't, I, I do not, I, I struggle to believe that anyone, other than potentially people that are literally born with silver spoons inserted somewhere, go through their adolescence going, I hope I grow up and get an MBE. I can understand people going, I'd love to meet the Queen. Because, you know, I have no particular affinity for the royal family. I'd meet the Queen, sure. It'd be a story. Might be able to confirm whether she's a lizard or not. It it would be something to do. But I can believe that he grew up wanting to be an athlete. I can believe that he grew up maybe going past Buckingham Palace because, you know, he was a London lad. He, uh, He grew up competing for Lewisham at the London Youth Games and such stuff like that. And yeah, so I can believe that he might want to one day go to Buckingham Palace. He might want to want to one day meet the Queen. He might one day want to be a professional athlete. I cannot believe that the words that the letters M B E were floating around his teenage head at any time. No, it it feels like they stock answer that because he's probably been asked this a hundred times on a hundred different shows. So it's just the stock answer they have prepared for it. Oh, ever since I was a kid, I always dreamed that I would get the opportunity to do this and the other. Right, just something nice for you to say on a television show. I think if he'd have known what show this was beforehand, he probably wouldn't have been going with those lies. He'd have just said something else. He'd have gone for a gag instead. Yeah, because immediately it just breaks the illusion as soon as Dom's like, yeah, but does the Queen like a fart? I bet Fergie does. I'm probably not getting an MBE myself. And then like Tony, you know, is now kind of prepared for what Dom's line of questioning is going to be. And, you know, and, but Dom throws him for a curveball by being like, I'm going to ask you a much more serious question. And there's this look on Tony's face that's like, oh, oh, I was expecting you to ask a jokey question. And then Dom's like, what's it like having a cock in pants? And he's just like, then just starts laughing and that's it. And they just basically then start making jokes about dicks and tiny dicks and pouches. I mean, I, do, I love it because whilst it is technically a question about shorts, it is pant adjacent. <laughs> yeah, it, which by, the, by extension is also trouser adjacent, which is also a dumb favourite. Absolutely. But I do love Tony's answer because it is technically a serious answer. It's like the most important quality in a short is comfort and... <clears throat> support Support. (laughs) stops things wiggling and shaking about now i'm assuming he's talking about his pack of refreshers and his bus fare home well you don't want those like you know you don't want those they could you know while you're running for the bus they could you know it could fly out fly out and hit a pensioner what if you had bought a return bus ticket so you got the ticket already in your pocket you don't want to be losing that because otherwise you've got to pay another pound 40 to get home and if also your change is in there You've lost your change, you've lost your bus fare, you can't even suck on a refresher to dull the pain because that's also gone flying out and ended up in someone's front garden. But Dom thinks he's definitely a wiggler. (laughs) 
<laughs> I bet you are, Dom. It just says like, oh man, saying saying the word wiggle makes it sound small. I mean, I would probably wiggle. The three of them are just busting her gut laughing. And then he awkwardly transitions to, by the way, can you have a wave to me, mum, please? She's a massive fan. And finally, uh, it's a tradition you're on Games Master. Where my mother, the biggest athletics fan in the world, whenever we have athletes on, but else, could you possibly just give her a little wave when I come in and say hi, Paula, and a little wave there? Hi, Paula. Hi, Paula. It's <laughs> fantastic. Uh, thank you very much. I would also like to, on a, on a personal note, say, Mother, once again, you've done it. You've moved house without telling me the address. <laughs> keep doing this. I'm feeling a little bit insecure now, so please get in touch. Also, she doesn't tell me where she lives anymore. She keeps moving house. I'm beginning to get abandonment issues. Mother, mother, are you there? We are only we are only a few years removed from Dominic Diamond firing his own mother from his production company because his mother told him, I think your coke habit is getting out of hand, and he, in a coke-fueled rage, fired her. In retrospect, she was probably right. Yep, and I think Dominic himself would admit that. So obviously we've got John Vigis, who is literally the golden boy, MBE, and then we have Tony Jarrett, who is a lovely guy, but and I find this kind of funny given their respective character choices as well, is very much standing in the shadow, is very much standing in the shadow of Regis because for all the golds that Regis had, Jarrett was much more of a kind of silver kind of guy. He did win a gold medal in the Commonwealth Games in 1990, in 1998. But when you look down his list of, it's more silver and bronze. There are golds, but he's not quite on the same level as Regis. Doesn't seem to bother him though. No, I think he's he's quite happy with his lot in life. You know, they kind of talk about this later on because spoilers for the episode, he does come second in this challenge. And he he even makes a joke of that's kind of my lot in life. I'm always the guy that comes second. And it basically boils down to the fact that he was doing his athletics at the same time as Colin Jackson. And Colin Jackson was always beating him into second place. Numerous occasions that this happened. So I think he just realized there's a guy who has come up at the exact same time as me and is just better than me. Being second place isn't a terrible thing. Like we make the joke in our office, second place is just first loser. But I think if you are, you know, a more like serious athlete, getting a silver medal is still a hell of an achievement. It always bugs me when you see Olympic commentators and it would be like, oh, and the young, you know, the particularly when it's like a British athlete. And it's like, oh, and the young lady from Slough, she worked, she worked her heart out, but she'll just have to, you know, make do with bronze. And I'm like, mate, that's the entire world that's competing for these medals. And this, like, 19-year-old has ranked third. She's got third place. No shame in that. Even getting to the Olympics, no shame in that. So, yeah, I, I'm glad he appears to have made his peace with it because it is used as a punchline a bit later. Yeah, it's good. I mean, he is not an MBE, uh, but I think that he is quite happy with the success that he has had, and 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 as he should be. And that tri-side being my very own Jim Rosenthal. We have got Rick Henderson. Rick, you're a very athletic man yourself, aren't you? About as athletic as Wigan, I reckon. But uh, I am actually practising at the old snooker and darts, so I uh -huh. think the exertion will be there somewhere. Okay, but not practising your jokes. No, obviously. obviously not. Okay, Rick, uh, first about 100 metres here. What is the basic tips for the guys? Well, the basic tips, this is dead simple. You just have to hit those buttons as fast as you can. But we're looking at around a 10-second run here. Anything over 10 seconds and they're losing valuable points. But whilst we wait to see if Paula gets in touch, Dom is heading to the commentary box for his Man Friday, his fill-in for Jim Rosenthal. 
It's a man we're more used to seeing in the reviews. It is the aforementioned Rick Henderson. Who actually has one of my favourite lines of the episode. He's about as athletic as Wigan. That is a wonderful bit of wordplay there, Rick. I, I really, really appreciate a Wigan athletic gag. It is. And also, it just lands. Even if you don't get the kind of wordplay, it just lands as a joke. But Luke, he's not completely without his athletic side. He is getting the practice in at two sports, snooker and the darts. Sports you can do at the pub. With a pint. And at this point in the 90s, a fag. <laughs> uh, but Rick, in a more serious note, says that we're looking to get about a 10 second run here because you anything more than that is going to earn you less points. Although I do just want to point out, Dom lands a solid burn on Rick right at the beginning, going, oh, you're practising your darts and your snooker. You're clearly not practising your jokes. Ooh. Hey, Rick's got a line later on, Dom, that you will think is funny. They've got a hell of a hell of a character line up here as well. John is playing as Jeff Jensen's from England, while Tony is Carl Vane from Germany. And when the game starts and John gets his first look at his character model, which is this massive dude, he busts a gut laughing because he's this he's as wide as he is tall, this character model. He is, and apparently allegedly, is based on Daley Thompson. Is it really? Yeah. Um, I mean, originally he was called Robin Banks <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the arcade. That's an amazing pun, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But then for the home release, he was changed to Jeff Jansen's. And in the American release of the game, he wasn't there at all. What? He excluded yeah. us. But he is, as is noted here, particularly strong at throwing events and uh, is considered the reigning champion from the previous decathlon in the game. Tony, however, has gone for Germany and won Karl Vane, a 28-year-old German competitor with blonde hair. Bet he's got some blue eyes as well. Oh, and he's also known for his confidence to the point of arrogance. And although competitive in all events, he's said to be able to jump over anything. Remember that line, Luke. Remember yeah. that he's able to jump over anything. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. Kind of describing these challenges is not going to be the easiest thing for an audio medium because A, like as Rick said there, you want to be trying to get under 10 seconds. So they're very short, but also it's just them mashing buttons. Like my notes here read, they mash buttons, John wins with 9.95 seconds, setting a new world record while Tony gets 10.10. Like that's it. Like that's the challenge. That's the first challenge done. On paper, he should not have won this. Literally... He is twice the size of his opponent. He has way more muscle mass to carry. He specialises in throwing events. And yet, and still, there is maybe a millisecond where it looks like Tony might take the lead. But other than that, it is all John. And he just tears away. It's actually a little confusing times because the camera does pan and zoom. And of course, depending on where your angle is, it can change who appears to be in the lead. But as difficult as it is to describe this, all I can say is you should go and watch it because this is fun. F-U-N fun. I think Tony's problem, and this is actually going to be a recurring problem that he's going to have for the other three, is he's not as quick as the button mashing as John is. There's even like close-up shots of him mashing the buttons and you can see like he's just moving slower than you would like as a gamer, you would you could see he's just moving slower. So I think that is Tony's issue here is that he's just not very good at the button mashing between the two to make them run faster. 
Also, they are using those first-generation UK Saturn pads, which are dog. They are absolute bobbins. They're, they're terrible, terrible things. Very, very cheap. Very, very plastic. I mean, thank God they're not actually doing anything that requires the use of the D-pad, put it that way. It, it would be just unfortunate. Well, here's something, we, here's something we haven't been able to do since Series 3 of this show. Let's head on over to Dominic Diamond for the scores. So at the end of the 100 metres, John Regis scores 1,108 points. Tony Jarrett, 1,071. It's still pretty close, isn't it? It is, yeah. Like, you know, Tony is he's not massively far off. He's like 30-odd points off there, nearly 40 points off. He's still got room to come back there. But, you know, that's the first event over. And if the break between events is anything like my uh, school sports days of old, we'll be having a cup of Lucasade whilst the groundskeeper sifts the long jump pit for Fox Poo. The latest instalment of the world's second most successful fighting game, Virtua Fighter 3, is in arcades now. It's the first game to utilise Sega's Model 3 technology with the most realistic graphics of any game ever. New features include more complex undulating backgrounds for tactical play, two new characters, Fatboy Wrestler Takarasha, and the painfully named Oi! And there's also a host of new moods for all the existing characters. We'll be having an event later in the series on this game, which will blow your thingies off. Our first bit of news here is on Virtua Fighter 3, and bloody hell, does this look like a marked improvement over Virtua Fighter and Virtua Fighter 2. Now, like the jump between Virtua Fighter 2 and Virtua Fighter 1 was pretty... It was kind of mind-blowing a little bit, you know, when we covered it in the news and stuff in Games Master. But the jump from 2 to 3 is like a jump in generation it looks so much better than the other dude it actually looks really really great in fact that when it was first shown and stuff people were kind of blown away by how impressive this game looks they did some beta testing at uh, sega's joyopolis in tokyo there were people that were queuing up for six to eight hours just to have one go on this because they wanted to see firsthand how good these graphics really are. When you consider, well, Virtua Fighter 1, it was untextured for the most part, raw polygon models, quite floaty, quite blocky. Virtua Fighter 2 smoothed the edges off, applied textures, characters actually looked pretty damn good. But that was only like, what, a year ago, year or so ago? And now here we are, the first title for the Model 3 board from Sega. And... These character models wouldn't look that bad now. No, they look great. Looks really, really impressive. It wasn't even just the kind of overall appearance of the characters. It was some of their behavior. Muscles could flex. There was eye tracking. So when characters moved around each other, the eyes would follow them. And the game also introduced the ability to actually properly move in three dimensions with a dodge move. And that was apparently... Like, that wasn't even early in the development. It was kind of as they were getting to the end of the development cycle. They were like, should we let them move in 3D proper-like? Because we do have these up-and-down kind of stages with staircases and stuff like that going on. So you can have the higher ground, Anakin. It's amazing, like, the the jump between 2 and 3. The final boss of the game, uh, Durrell, is a robot with reflections, like a sort of a reflective chrome-type look to it. And people, when they first saw it, were like, could not believe the detail of the reflections as the screen moved around, as the character moved around. This is, you know, I'm not not the biggest Virtual Fighter fan. That has been made abundantly clear throughout this, this podcast series. But I can look at Virtual Fighter 3 and see it as 
the technical marvel that it is for 1996 you know when you kind of consider, compare it to some of the other home releases we're getting or even arcade releases this is an actual technical marvel i mean computer and video games saw the demo and described it as the most astounding display of video game graphic muscle ever in the history of this industry not wrong when you not consider you consider people are going mad over metal mario at this point and you know the general home processing power of the playstation and the nintendo 64 and the Saturn a bit, but not much on the 3D point. But then this appears in the arcade, an industry that was under threat from the increased quality of what was coming out at home. It just blows them out the water. Yeah, I mean, it, there was a planned release for the Saturn, but I think, you know, there's lots of like undisclosed reasons, I'm using Bucky O'Hare is, as to why it wasn't released on the Saturn. My guess would be the Saturn was a dead duck at this point. So instead, they just moved it to the Dreamcast instead. And the thing is, even if it had been released for the Saturn, it would have been prohibitively expensive because here we are a couple of years into the lifespan of the Saturn and we're 32xing it. We are adding an, we are giving it an add-on card just to get Virtua Fighter 3 to run that would add extra 3D processing power. We already know from the development of the Saturn that the 3D stuff was really kind of bodged together and now we're adding another bodge it's like adding an extension to an illegally built conservatory you're just bodging and bodging and bodging and and you know it's not like the hardware inside the cartridge was going to be like shonky it was stuff that would actually go on to be used in pc 3d graphics accelerator cards it was immensely powerful also would have been immensely expensive Interestingly, staff from Core Design claimed that they had actually seen a completed prototype 3D accelerator cartridge in action in early 1997 during a visit they made to Sega of Japan. And it was running a demo of Virtua Fighter 3 on the Saturn with two playable characters. So it was clearly a fair ways along. Like they actually knew they had the hardware and they could get it to work with the Saturn and at the very least could create a playable version of Virtual Fighter 3. Ah, oh, but if only they'd built it into the Saturn from the beginning. If That's only exactly they'd, just, they'd just kind of gone, okay, let's stop, let's take stock, let's redevelop the hardware platform, let's make it so we can actually compete with Sony. Oh, and hey, what Nintendo are doing. Yeah, that's always been the thing with the Saturn, right? Like, it was bollocks from the start. And I wonder if... You know, if a prototype of this game has been seen with, you know, the, the, the extra chips and stuff, whether, you know, 10 years time or whatever, you're, you're going to see an article on Kotaku that just says Virtual Fighter 3 prototype on the Saturn has been found and is now available online. Or, you know, like that prototype gets sold to some private collector or something. Hey, the, 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 the crazy thing is, is to even reverse and engineer it for an emulator, you would also need that cartridge. Yeah. You, you would need the ability to um, kind of play it physically to be able to make it work under emulation. It would be, it, it must still exist. It it's must be in the somewhere. Sega, it's in the Sega vault somewhere. It's in someone's drawer somewhere in the Sega of Japan offices. Under some really like kind of stale cup noodles. Exactly, it's just yeah. Sat there. Or it's stopping the desk being wonky. <laughs> it's under a couple of unsigned birthday cards that haven't been passed around the office yet. But it's not just the best graphics we've ever seen that are new to this game. We've also got a couple of new characters. We've got Takarasha 
and a painfully named Oi! Yeah, it is. We're going to get a challenge on Virtual Fighter 3 later on uh, in this uh, in this series. So I think like they, I think Games Master have always really liked Virtual Fighter. I mean, Dom here calls it the second best fighting franchise because I think he'd probably say the Tekken is better. But I think Games Master have always been fans of the Virtual Fighter series. Absolutely. I mean, it. it it does make for a great spectator sport, even if you're not good at playing the game. When you get two people on a virtual fighter game that know what they're doing, it's masterful stuff. Much like Street Fighter, if you're not very good at Street Fighter, you can still appreciate the sheer craziness of two masters going at it on third strike or four or five or even just vanilla old two. Not sure about one. I'm not sure if there is anyone out there that's a true master at the original. But just a note on Taka who would appear in 3 and would then not appear until a later revision of 5 for the simple reason they did not know how to implement fat blokes. They could not make larger characters work in Virtua Fighter to the point he was almost cut from Virtua Fighter 3 because they were just like, it's the jump mechanics. I, we, don't know, we, don't know how to, we don't know how to make a big man jump. If you woke up this morning and thought, how did they make those special effects in Independence Day? Then, would be you? There's a CD-ROM all about it inside Independence Day. The disc features over an hour of footage, allows you to gander at the £50,000 model of the White House they blew up, see the early drawings of the alien ships, drawn by me, even put dull questions to the stars. Hello. And if all this isn't enough for Independence Day junkies, there's even a preview of the Independence Day game in development, which will probably be cag. Our second news item here is basically the DVD extras for the Independence Day release. Um, but back in the day, you had to buy them on a separate CD-ROM. Cool, like, you know, lots of bonus footage. There's interviews with the cast members and stuff. There's a preview of the game. It's a cool thing, that, but I would have probably imagined a cool thing if you got it free with a magazine as opposed to going out to a shop and buying it. I'm going to hold up my hand, Luke. Did you have this? Oh, yeah. It's like <laughs> when Dominic says at the beginning of, um, you know, this is the ideal for the person that woke, wakes up of a morning and wonders, how did they make those special effects? And I'm just like, oh, I feel seen right <laughs> yeah. now, because that is absolutely me. But you are right. Not only is this the sort of stuff you would get on the DVD special features, some of this footage is actually on the Independence Day DVD and I think probably the Blu-ray release as well. We just didn't have those degree of special features. We we're only about two years, if that, off of this being on DVDs. You yeah, know, this kind of thing. The, we're still on the VHS era where, like, if you watched until the end of the credits, you may get, like, a five-minute feature on something. It's like a little bonus at the end, depending on how long the movie is. Or if you're a little rich kid, Laserdisc. You know, I think it's a it's a cool little bit of tech. And I think, like you'd say, if you were a, a fan of the movie, like, what did what were your memories of the, the CD-ROM? Did you enjoy it when you got it? Uh, I think it wasn't as much as I wanted it to be because genuinely this was around the time when I was getting into special effects, into how they were making, especially sci-fi and horror. More horror, but Independence Day was one of those big movies, one of those event movies. And so I wanted to know how they were doing the models, how they were doing some of the special effects. I still love that sequence where the ship first enters the atmosphere and you get the, the kind of, the, you get the burning clouds and, and just, I wanted to know how it was made. I'm fairly certain I also had the Making of Independence Day book with all the production art and everything in it as well. And yeah, this CD-ROM would have been right up my proverbial, but it wouldn't have been enough, particularly because you're viewing these illustrations and this video, it's in a little window and you don't have the fine degree of control. So yeah, you're watching yeah, very grainy, mega CD style video clips. 
Absolutely. So it it would have been one that I got, one that I enjoyed, and one then then got chucked in the drawer alongside the development copy of Virtua Fighter 3 for the Saturn. Americans, what will they think of next? Playing games with our bodies, that's what. It's all thanks to a new virtual reality attraction called Mandala. A video game camera in the system tracks your movements, allowing you to interact with the rubbish in-game graphics. The 30 Mandala games include basketball, a crossy shitty footy game, a bizarre emu volleyball match, and a racing game you control by moving your head. Mums can do keep fit, and even grannies can do mad things with woodland creatures. Americans, you snooker loopy nuts are weak. Our last news item here is a very interesting one. Uh, Dominic just calls it Mandela, but as far as I can tell, it's the Mandela Gesture Extreme. And if you've not watched the episodes, you haven't seen kind of what they're doing, it's basically the eye toy, or what, you know, the eye toy that, we, that Sony do a bit later on, where you stand in front of a camera and it's records you or captures your vi- your image and then it, it puts it into the game and you moving then affects what's on screen and things like that i did actually have the eye toy uh for a, a, a one one fun evening which is pretty much all you're going to get out of the eye toy but what's interesting about this is that this is actually done for more rehabilitation things so this is done for sort of people who've got injuries that are looking to rehabilitate those injuries through a fun and interactive way like this is a group that have been doing this since the late 80s who've been kind of creating this software and stuff. And this is kind of the pinnacle of what they made was 99 is here in 1996. And it then became then IREX, which is what they're still using to this day. I find it interesting that Dominic kind of describes it as virtual reality, whereas realistically, what we're actually talking about is augmented reality, particularly because you're being shot against a blue screen and then essentially chroma keyed in. It's the same technology that was used in the weather, in Doctor Who, in virtual sets and all that stuff. Um, the, the newness is the interaction with the kind of the virtual, the computer objects. It's, it's fascinating to see here. And I actually kind of wish we'd got more on this and just dropped the Independence Day feature, gone into a bit more of the detail about how it's doing and what it's doing. But I suspect this entire news piece was just quickly spun up because they were sent a press release tape. That's what I think as well. Like they heard of this thing, got some archival footage or whatever it is, and then just put it into here because they present this as like it's a new video game thing, but it kind of, it's not really that. Like they did do it at some like amusement parks and things like that, but this was more done for clinical purposes. It was just found in clinical settings. Yeah. Like the, uh, I'd say that when we see a couple of the different games, like the goalie game for hockey, the football game for soccer, the weird ostrich volleyball type game. Those are ones which I would go, yeah, they are kind of fun arcade theme park things. But then the thing with the woodland and the older lady, that to me, and also the way she's moving, that to me feels more like kind of a rehabilitation, hand-eye coordination, maybe recovering motor functions after some kind of stroke. That to me feels more medical in its implementation. But again, it's one of the things of like I found about the same level of information as you. And I kind of wish there was more, like like just more in this show about it, because as we've already established that this is now not just about video games, this is also about entertainment technology. I think there would have been a real opportunity here to bridge the gap between entertainment technology and positive practical uses. Maybe Games Master isn't the show for that. Maybe that's more a tomorrow's world kind of thing. 
but I would have still liked to have seen it. Is the sort of thing, Bad Influence probably would have done more with it. You know, when we did the final episode of Bad Influence, he kept saying there were some features that they did better than Games Master. I think this would be one of those features they would have done better than Games Master because they would have had Violet Berlin going to this place and seeing it being used. And she would have been able to show you the audience what it's like to be in this and explain the practical uses of it. Whereas here, it's just a bit of a throwaway news item that, yeah, kind of feels like it's filling time a little bit. But still very, very cool to see. Okay, uh, we have completed one event of our special uh, I'm Athletic, I Like Lycra Games Master Challenge with John Regis and Tony Jaya. John Regis, 37 points ahead. We're just about to go into the long jump. Rick Anderson, what's the best tips for the guys here? Well, Tony's got a good advantage here. His character is a jumper, don't forget. But the best tactic is basically press that button when you're in midair and it will extend your legs, giving you better reach. Okay, and what angle should they be looking for of jump? Well, they should be looking at up to 25, but I kind of find myself 23 is the optimum angle. Okay, then you've always been a bit of a dissenter, though, <laughs> haven't you, Rick? <laughs> Back to Athlete Kings, and this is the first time that I think John and Tony heard the name We're Athletes, We Like Lycra, and laugh at that. And it's just, again, one of those moments where Oh, right. Yeah, they're just having fun on this day. Absolutely. I mean, as an event title goes, it, I don't know where it came from. It may have actually almost been invented like just on the day, just like, what are we going to call this? I don't know. We can't actually just say penis gags. What about, we're athletes, we like Lycra. Sure, that'll, that'll do. do. And it's so weird that it does make John really, really laugh at it. Uh, Rick here says that Tony's got the advantage in this challenge because his character is more of a jumper than uh, John's is. And you need to extend your legs in for that 25 degrees, but he finds the 23 to be more of the optimal angle. Yeah, he's, he's like the game says 25, but Rick's like, no, I know the score. I know physics better than some computer. You want to go for 23. So John's up first and gets some really good speed on it, but he's quite far from the line and ends up with 6.42, which basically just gets him on the board. Dom calls it, that's your banker. That's the one you can just save just in case anything else goes nipples north. But for the most part, this is just good little practice run. Maybe do better in your next one. I mean, Tony comes up for his first run and I would say his speed is okay. His angle is maybe slightly better, but he's even further behind the line. Like if he'd been closer to the line, I think he would have done better than John did on his first attempt. But as it is, he only gets 5.97 on the board. It's John's second jump here that's the best one that he has, which is 7.31. He just absolutely nails it. He gets the speed right. He gets the angle more or less right at 19, 7.31. Like he pretty much gets that bang on. The most important thing on this run for him is he toes the line like a, another frame further and he would be over the line. So he gets it as close as possible. So he makes the absolute best of what he's got in speed and angle. And spoilers, it's the best one on the board that he gets. Yeah, Tony, his second one is not quite as good, though, because he basically just, his speed's like, okay, but he just does this tiny tap for the jump. So he only gets 4.88. It really is just like a little whoop, uh, but to get the angle right, and he just biffs it slightly. I wonder if he was struggling with his pant or Maybe. his short. Yeah, exactly. Maybe the refreshers went flying and it threw him off. But this is where we get the line from Rick that I think makes John laugh so much he does cause a foul because John because Rick says he can really go for this and we've got the fantastic buttock shot. 
He's going to make a great imprint when he lands. And you just hear John laughing. And the next thing you know, he's completed a foul. He's stepped over the line. He's not registering a jump for this one. And the line, follow-on line from Rick is... Yeah, he could have made more out of that plasticine. He took so much of it. Tony, on the other hand, is not phased by Rick's very good humour here because he does very well with this one. 7.34. He wins the event and John actually looks shocked that he didn't win this one. And really, like he only, Tony only just won it there. Yeah, it's like three centimetres. He still stepped off a bit early, but his speed was up. He got 21 degrees, which is closest to the optimal as we've had thus far. And yeah, if he'd been closer to the line, Obviously, he'd have obliterated the highest distance, but even three centimetres is enough and he does it. But this is where the scoring system comes into play, because on some level, if you were just doing this traditionally, like where it's event versus event, it would now be one all. But if we go over to the scoreboards, that is not the case. 8-8-8 for John Regis, 8-9-3 for Tony Jai. He pulls it back by five, which means that... John is only John is still ahead, but only by 32 points now. Yes, we've got John on 1996 and Tony on 1964. So he's actually eating into some of John's lead that he had earlier while he was about 40 points behind now. Now he's only towards the 30 mark behind. So he's actually starting to make up some of that distance that he lost in round one. Yeah, there was only five points difference between what John and Tony got on this event with John getting 8.88, the teletext score, and uh, Tony getting 8.93. But we kind of now hit a bit of a break. Dom heads down to check in with our competitors, recap the scores, and the fact that Tony is eating into the lead, as you rightly pointed out. And he goes over to John and says, have you ever done the next event? Have you ever done the next event in real life? And John's like, no, never. More chance of me climbing a house. However, on the game, it's his favourite event, which means that they definitely did do some practice on this in the green room, and this is the one that he enjoyed the most. This is one of the events where you really need to build up a rhythm because it's not just button mashing, it's button mashing and timing the jump button. And and as Rick will point out after the commercial break, it's not even just about pushing the button, it's about getting the shortest button tap possible for the jump because the shorter the button tap, the lower the jump, the more speed you maintain and indeed get a speed boost as you carry on. Okay, it's, uh, it's nicely poised then. John Regis, 32 points ahead of Tony Janet. We're going to compare the size of our various Lycra pouches. <laughs> you know like to see that. You have to watch these fine adverts instead during this commercial break. <laughs> And what do we have here? Ah, good morning. Yes, that's what I call the VPP, the virtually perfect pub. How cute. The Brits have discovered virtual reality just as it's virtually out of date. Ooh. Wow, what a piece of work. England 5, Germany 0, Jimmy. Oh, that's for words. You know, I bet they drink Harling Black Label on the house. It's brewed longer to taste stronger. 4.1% no less. Well... I've got some pretty impressive statistics of my own. Me too, big boy. Ah! Carling Black Label. Bottoms out, the best-selling beer in Britain. Something just went wrong with Eddie's experiment. Now, someone's setting us up. Escape is the only reaction. Who are you? I'm your friend, Eddie. From the director of The Fugitive. It's him. He's on a payphone in Williams Bay. 
Keanu Reeves, Morgan Freeman. Chain Reaction. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What is the answer? The answer is a goldfish. Where do I find my goldfish? On the end of the line. Call 0990 60 90 60. Come on, call Jackback! On Games Master. John Regis and Tony Jarrett took a day off of winter training and they came in to compete in I'm Athletic, I Love Lycra. <laughs> we have had two events so far, the 100 metres, which uh, John Regis won. Then we moved on to the long jump, which Tony won with a spectacular final jump, leaving the score after two events. John Regis, 1,996. Tony Jarrett, 1,964. For the mathematicians out there, that's a difference of 32 points. And we come out of the ad break with Dominic recapping the scores and everything like that. And as you said before we had our little ad break there, Rick kind of tells us everything that we need to do for this, which is, you know, you're using your two fingers here and using your third finger to press that third button. Dominic makes the great point of, why not just use two hands? But as we said earlier, they're using those old school satin pads and it's not really designed for that. Yeah, Rick's exact phrasing is the joy pads are very wee. Very wee indeed. I do also love that Dominic throws out a fool previously on Games Master <laughs> Voice. He is having so much fun with this episode. And I would say that John had a lot of fun on this race and Tony did not. Because we get ready to go. The lads take their marks and off we are to the races, at which point Tony jumps for no discernible reason. Then both of them run through the first few hurdles. John eventually finds his rhythm and starts to take the lead, whilst Tony continues to play Demolition Derby on an athletics track, has no rhythm, doesn't even attempt to jump on a number of them, does actually clear the last one. But whilst not a stellar performance for either man, 
John was less pants. I, well, John gets it after a while. Like you said he finds his rhythm, and I think that's it. By the second or third hurdle, he clears the rest of them quite comfortably to the point where he passes the line in 13.31 while Tony got 16.29, like a full, you know, three seconds behind. And the camera had pulled back so far, you couldn't even really see that John had passed the finish line while we waited for Tony to try and catch up to him. And amazingly, despite the fact that he charged through those first few hurdles, it was still enough for John to get a new world record on the game. So let's head on over to the scores to see how that has affected things. After the third event, John Reed is still in the lead, but he's lengthened it. 3,062 to Tony Jarrett's rather wiggly 2,664. <laughs> yeah, Tony's not winning this. Yeah, I think John's won this event now because... I mean, Tony was slightly eating into that lead that John had after the first one, but now he's like 400 points ahead. <laughs> I mean, John John gets a historically-tastic 1066, while Tony gets just 700. So yeah, 3062 to 2664. I mean, it's not impossible for Tony to get it back, but it's not going to happen, and it doesn't. No, I think Dom and Rick, I mean, we'll get this you know, when they come back to it, they know that John has won, particularly because they're also in John's character speciality of a round. These exclusive shots of me redecorating my house are actually the latest multi-million pound interactive movie extravaganza, trying to prove that actors in video games can have satisfying intercourse. The Darkening is a follow-up to the successful PC hit Privateer. It's a space adventure that's been four million pounds in the making. The player controls the main character, Lev Aris, Clive Owen of TV's Chance of Fame, who finds himself in a, my spaceship has crashed, I'm on an alien planet, I've lost my memory type situation. Well, we've got a feature here on The Darkening, which we actually had featured back in Bad Influence. And what we've got here is just a bit of a press pack that would had been sent across with crew interviews with John Hurt and Clive Owen and things like that. And it's kind of cool to be able to see a bit more of the actual game itself, as opposed to just sort of like the quick shots we got in Bad Influence. Although I did appreciate some of those behind-the-scenes shots we get at the beginning of this, because we can see where they are. The 007 stage is in the background. And whilst nowadays everything would be done on kind of a virtual set, we've got some huge props and set pieces being carried around and They're some so animatronics. Cool. And it, yeah, this is... This is the point where they could have done this on computer, but it was still actually cheaper to get a man to really sculpt it out of styrofoam. And so it gives it a wonderful, real and tactile quality. There's a moment when you like they have a video of Clive Owen's character moving around and then an alien like pops up and scares him and Don makes a joke like, see, I told you that would happen. But that alien looks really cool because it's a tangible thing that's in front of Clive Owen to react to as opposed to just a, a, a CGI thing that they put in later on. Yeah, it's kind of a sticky, glistening, like weird, weird creature thing. But you're right, we do see a bit more of the game. We kind of see the um, the exploration point and click type nature of things. We also see some more of the space combat. We also get an interview with John Hurt, who plays the beautifully named Joe the Bartender. Yeah, and he's, you know, he genuinely, like credit to John Hurt, talks about his character. This is who my character is. This is my character's backstory. This is what my character provides for the game. And I'm like, yeah, you're Joe the bartender. <laughs> like, It's not this big, deep, it's not the deepest role you're ever going to play here, John. He goes, but no, but I survived to the end of this one. There's <laughs> yeah. got to be something to be said for that. Do we then get a clip of him interacting with Clive Owen? And it's got one of my favorite bits of dialogue from any FMV video game sequence. 
You mentioned some uh, juicy deals. Not just juicy. Terrific. Supplies, wholesalers, jobbers. You might say that I run a very moist establishment. <laughs> the most disgusting use of the word moist we've had during our run on Games Master. And that's saying something. It's a very Games Master clip to use as well. You can bet they were punching the air when that came up on the press kit. Yeah, exactly. I was like, well, we're definitely putting that in then. But the interview with Clive Owen kind of recaps what we've heard from a lot of actors when we've done these features in Games Master, which is that... Oh, you know, you've got to film a scene, and then when that scene's done, you've got to film that scene again, but with slightly different dialogue depending on where the character, where the player goes. And it's, but I, I still kind of like this sort of thing. I, I like these press packs. This is there's a very interesting sort of theme that we've had for the last couple of episodes with Dominic Diamond's voiceovers and stuff, which is that there was a period of time when these celebrity FMV games or with actors and stuff was kind of like, a, oh, this is a new bit of tech. This is a new exciting thing. But here we are in 1996, and then now they feel a bit, not passe, but so many of them have been rubbish that Dom is quite hesitant or reticent to think that this one will also be good. And then by the end of it, he's like, do you know what? The graphics on this are so, so good. This game might not be pish after all. But we are sort of finding just a handful of these games, maybe one or two of these actor-based FMV games that are sort of breaking through that barrier of being an actually good game. I will say, having watched it, the point-and-click stuff I was quite into, but as soon as I saw the space combat, I was less bothered about playing the game. Okay, we're approaching the final event here. We've had John Regis and Tony Jarrett here since the start of the show. John has played extremely well. Tony has played. <laughs> and there's about as much tension as a very old soft duvet. <laughs> the next event is the javelin. Now, Rick, what's the tips for the guys on this one? Well, again, it's angle-based. Welcome to Mathematics Master with Tom and Rick. <laughs> it's angle-based, 45 degrees, the game says, but I find it better to do 42, 43 again. Uh -huh. But also, they just have to get that run up, and to be honest, John's character could use that javelin as a toothpick. <laughs> That's got to go far. So here we are. It's the final event of our Athlete Kings uh, quadrathlon, I guess. Uh, but really, I think we've all come to the conclusion John has already won this. Yes, to recap, John has played extremely well. And Tony has played. A great line. There's about as much tension here as an old soft duvet. Uh, however, Rick does get to go into Mathematics Master and talk about more angles and stuff because the game may suggest 45, but he thinks it's more towards 42, 43. I just love that. It's like his, 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 his kind of bit for this appears to be, well, the computer says this, but I always go a couple of degrees below. I also like as well that he, you know, he talks about how John's going to be much better at this because his character would use that javelin as a toothpick, whereas Tony's character, he can't tell the difference between him or the javelin. It does. I love the exaggerated cartoonish nature of these characters, but watching these two characters face off against each other in this game has been kind of hilarious. It has indeed, yeah. So John is up first in his specialist event, gets a good run-up and a good angle of 58 and scores 70.32. He is very pleased with that, but Rick does say that it is not unbeatable. No, he says that 90 is possible here if you get the right combination of speed and angle. Tony goes up next, there's nothing to play for really. He gets the speed, but biffs the angle, 30.94. Yeah, he threw it about as far as a child might. Yes, or as far as you might throw a child. John fouls his second throw because he's 
looking to save himself from the last one as Rick's just like... He's teasing, teasing. <laughs> He's throwing those sweets in Tony's direction, isn't he? <laughs> He's angry, though. Look at the screen. He's bending down there, doing something. Okay, it's uh, Tony Jarrett's second throw. Come and see my puppies, Tony. That's what you're saying. <laughs> and that is where Dom busts a gut laughing. But Tony, clearly distracted by those puppies, he goes for his second throw. However, he's haunted as he throws early and his angle is low. He does slightly better, 67.37, but John is still in the lead with that first throw. And then for his final throw, gets an amazing run of speed. Just a slightly low angle of 30, but the speed carries it to 71.96. So he is well in the lead now at this point. It all comes down to Tony. And as Rick says here, he needs to get over 85 just to bring the point to around the square mark. Does he manage that, Ash? No. He gets half of that. (laughs) He doesn't have the speed, he doesn't have the angle, and he gets 41.93. Oops. Biffy McBifferton there, just (laughs) absolutely biffing it all over the place. To the point where Dom doesn't even say, ah, we didn't even need the scoreboard now, we know that John's won. Yeah, it's like, what does that mean for the overall scores? We never find out. It's academic, really. Congratulations, John. Thank you kindly. Uh, Slightly less congratulations there (laughs) to you, Tony. Uh, How how should we put this? Silver again. (laughs) Uh, You've probably got more silver than the Bank of England now. (laughs) (laughs) And ironically, it was the hurdles. That was the kind of one that separated the men from the boys today. What happened with that? Did you, did you clear any? Well, no, I don't think I did. I think I performed as good as I did in the Olympic Games itself. <laughs> I, mean, I wasn't, wasn't going to mention that. So, I mean, was, was it pressure getting to you? Yeah, I think it was a bit of pressure because I know it was my own event. But um, what I had to do is, because I was a German, I had to make the Englishman win because the men... Don't oh, God. You're going to do that, isn't you? Lame excuse. Lame excuse. <laughs> John, were you... I mean, this is a silly question. Were you ever worried at all? Yeah. Uh, I probably wasn't. The only thing I was worried about was balancing on the was on, on the barrel other than that barrel. other than that <laughs> that's probably because of tony's comfortable shorts <laughs> needs a bit of room we're basically talking tony needs a full barrel if you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> and then we get to the post-match and there's a line from dom here which to me shows how comfortable these guys are with each other because there are some guests you could make this line to and they would walk off because Dom's like, it's silvers again, Tony. You've now got more silver than the Bank of England, which proper cracks Tony up. Yeah, he's just like, it's just like real life, this really is, and it's the story of my life coming second. He's very game for it, which I really, really like about him. Uh, but he basically then makes the excuse of, look, I played as the German, so I just let John win so we could have a big England win for the day. <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> I'll allow that one. Whereas John was like, John... His only issue he had with playing this game was not the game at all. It wasn't the light, like Danny John Jules was talking about last week. It's our first celebrities talk about the set and the difficulty of sitting on a barrel while trying to play this game and sitting on it comfortably. Yeah, and and Dom's like, well, clearly that's because of Tony and his comfy shorts. Tony's a full barrel kind of guy. (laughs) Basically, huge cock. (laughs) Such a, I really, really loved all of these guys together. It was so much fun. John wins the joystick, and that's the end of our episode. Although we said earlier that like the Independence Day bit, and more specifically the augmented reality bit, felt a bit like filler. Have we ever seen this shot of the mermaids going to Neptune's treasure, <laughs> finding a joystick, and bringing it to the stage? 
they clearly saw that they needed to fill about 60 seconds of airtime. And they're like, right, quick featurette on this augmented reality thing. Teresa Leanne, can you make a deal of going and digging a joystick out of a box of prop treasure? Aces, we've got it. Yeah, they probably would have been better off just making more of the virtual three footage that they had. It's doing like a big, like news, just a one news item piece on that and using that to fill up all the time there. Cause it could have done that for ages. I suppose it depends whether they knew at that point that they were running short. It was only when they got mm. right to the end, they were just like, need to fill it in a bit. Do we have any footage of the mermaids fartassing around with the treasure? Cool. We can cut that in. Exactly. Yeah. Can we just slightly slow down these credits? Cause even the credits feel like they're running slower than they usually do. Because like usually I go sort of frame by frame to see the names and stuff. I didn't have to this time because the credits do feel like they're moving at a slower pace. It's easier for me to read. Okay, so uh, that's the end of the show. Thanks very much to uh, John and Tony. Next week, Paul Leishard from Hollyoaks is here. And I'll leave you with a final question. If sprinters are so fast, do they get the runs twice as quick as normal people? Good night. <laughs> it's a good question to ask. It's food for thought, Luke. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. Ash, what did you make of our One Challenge Athlete Kings? Probably my favourite episode of season six so far. Definitely ranking up there as one of my favourite episodes of Games Master of all time. There was obviously there was obviously no reviews. Did I miss them? Eh, not really. There was only one real news article of worth, and that was Virtua Fighter 3. The other two could take them or leave them. The feature was very cool. We got to see a bit more of Privateer 2, The Darkening. And then we have the actual meat and potatoes, or meat and two veg, of the uh, proceedings. We have the Celebrity Challenge. If the celebrities had not been into this, if we'd been in another Patsy Palmer situation, this would have probably been one of the worst episodes of all time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. As it is, the lads are into it. Dom and Rick are into it. Everyone on the set is clearly having a lovely day of it. And so I, I was almost sad when it was over. I could have gone for another challenge. I could have gone for it being five challenges. Yeah, maybe like doing five challenges and ditching those other two news items. Like, I think that the the episode is quite nicely broken up because you have challenge news challenge break challenge feature challenge i think adding a fifth one in there kind of means you'd have to go back to back on one of the challenges but i, I could have gone for another one because i was really enjoying just watching these two play the game i was enjoying how much fun dom and rick were having on commentary and by extension how much fun all four of them were having like you're right this is this episode lives and dies by john and tony being as into this as they are because dom and rick would have been as funny regardless but I think they actually, because they're having so much fun with the celebrities, up their game to try and be funny and try and, like you said, one-up each other. That's what they're doing. They're trying to make... The pair of them are just there to try and make the other two laugh. And I really, really appreciate that about the episode. If this had been like a Leon Herring type situation where they're uncomfortable on the set, they don't really like being there, or as you said, Patsy Palmer, this could have been quite rubbish. But as it stands... It is one of my favorite episodes of Games Master we've got to cover. And it's really not for the gameplay, which is what I tend to really like about this show. This is more just watching four people have the most fun. This is one of those episodes where I'm really thankful I've got the job that I have, because it makes me think of the job that I've got, where I go to work and I just have fun with my friends all day. And I, you know, we go on sets and stuff, we film things, and it's just the most fun hanging out with these people. That is what this show felt like. There are times where, and I'm sure the book will back this up, where Games Master was clearly not fun to make. 
a nightmare in some cases. Like, you know, the, the stories you hear from uh, 4, I can't imagine how stressful it would have been. But yeah. If a story comes out of that book saying that this episode was a nightmare to make, it will break my heart. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jack, if you're listening, I'm warning you, get it edited. Don't ruin the edition. Don't ruin my day here, Jack. Just tell me which pages I need to cut out of the book just to make sure. Uh, well, Ash, I think we need to come up with some scores for this one. And we've been very positive. We've been on the same line as well. We had 90 for episode one, 91 for episode two. Here we are, episode three. I think we're both in the 90s again. I'm at 94. Yeah, I was 94 as well written down. We are once again in line. This is, you know, this is one of those episodes where I'm like, go out of your way to watch it. Be part of the watch along group on the Discord because this is such a laugh. Yep. Uh, for the time, for the foreseeable future, watch along parties are at 7:30 p.m. on Wednesdays. It's the episode of Games Master that will be the following week's Patreon release, plus some extra bits and pieces, plus some unusual films that tie into video games in some way, or in the case of this week's Future Cops, just completely disregards any sort of international copyright law regarding Street Fighter or Dragon Ball or any of those things. And yeah, it's a great, it's a great, this episode in particular is a great episode to watch with friends. Yeah, absolutely is. I had a blast with this one, but that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Under Consultation. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. Or if you want some real-time interaction, some real-time feedback, chat with us, chat with other listeners, chat with other fans of retro gaming and pop culture in general, you can visit our aforementioned Discord server where there's lots of lovely people hanging out. The weekly watch-along parties have started up and I'm hoping we'll get a few other Discordian events coming up in the near future. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you'll get access to UCP Extra, which is this show format, but about other shows from the 80s and 90s, and our monthly community show, Under Console Nation. But at the £5 level, you will get next week's episode one week early and ad-free. And at the £10 level, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what do you get? At uh, the £10 level, they get our Patreon supporter pack, which contains our golden glittery under consultation mug, badges, stickers retro trading cards retro sweeties and much much more all of which is delivered straight to your door and a shout out to those 10 pound backers xanderthal william tom the amazing cliff simon sean sarah aka pink lithium richard reese nick misha matty boom mark link kevin jamie ian harriet manga girl gordon dempster gordon brance david palmer david fisher duck size 73 chrissy two sticks arcadia wild bill Andrew, Adam, and Andy. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days' time for some Hollyoaks. Take care, everyone. Good night. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.